So we know what the Hero and Villain series has been about. If you've been, uh, you've been here over the last four or five weeks as I've preached this, uh, and really um, uh, what I'm wanting to do is sort of show the beauty and the failure of Bible characters. And when we actually look at the contrasts in their lives, that they had foibles, that they had paradoxes, that they could be amazing and they could also be you know, undeniably human at the same time, it actually helps us to relate to them. Maybe it helps us relax a bit. Has anyone felt a bit better about themselves during this season? It's like, oh, you mean I'm not the only one who gets it wrong sometimes? Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's exactly what it's meant to do. It's just basically trying to be a little bit real. And today, we're going to look at heroes and villains, James and John. James, I'm going to look at two people together. Levi came to me this week, Pastor Levi, would you believe it? Came to me this week. And of course, he's always been a little bit of a stirrer, even when he was a kid. Um, and he said, uh, I've got a topic for your next hero and villain. And I said, who? He said, Jesus. <laughs> now that's difficult, that one. Uh, anyhow, I might touch on it a bit today. <laughs> uh, I've got to weave him into the story somehow, so it's to pay him back. Okay, so James and John, who were they? Well, they were brothers. Uh, they first turn up in Scripture, some of the earliest disciples called in Matthew chapter 4. Going on from there, this is Jesus, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets and Jesus called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So they're brothers. James is known as James the Greater as opposed to James the Less because there's obviously James the brother of the Lord is one of the apostles as well. But in, uh, he's actually the first apostle martyred. So the first apostle to die for his faith. Not the first Christian, of course, that was Stephen. But the first of the original apostles about 36 to 38 AD, uh, Herod had him, quote unquote, Put to the sword. So we, we catch that in Acts chapter 12. It was about that time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword, which most likely in those days meant beheaded. And then we have John, his brother, the disciple who Jesus loved. Just always got to remember that John was the one who wrote that about himself. And uh, John wrote the gospel. Uh, of John, of course, and he wrote three epistles, and he also wrote the Revelation. And so John was quite a very prolific writer. Uh, he was an intimate of Jesus without a doubt. He's the one who leaned on Jesus' chest at the, uh, at the Last Supper. Uh, and apparently, it would seem like he's the only, uh, the only of the original apostles who died of old age. It would seem he is. Uh, he was banished to the island of Patmos, which was a Greek island where the Roman government would send their political prisoners. One of the islands, there was three, that they would banish people to. And that's where John finds himself when he has uh, the revelation. He writes the apocalyptus or the revelation, the revealing that we have right at the end of the New Testament. Um, uh, but... Uh, apparently, and this is only church tradition, but apparently he ended up on Patmos after the attempted execution of being boiled in oil 
did not do it. And then he was banished and he got to live till old age. So that's a little bit about who these guys are. They are big figures in scripture all the way through and we're going to have a look at that. First I want to look at James and John as heroes. We like good hero stories don't we? So let's look at the hero side of James and John. Uh, At the resurrection of the little girl, I just want to have a look, first of all, the whole concept of that these are two of the three or two of Jesus' three inner circle people. So you see, Jesus had 12 uh, 12 disciples and then uh, eventually sent them out. So they became apostles because apostle simply means sent one. And so he starts with these 12. But within the 12, there's a number of stories in scripture which would tell you that he had one, which was John. And then he had three, Peter, James and John, that were often associated with more intimate moments in Jesus' ministry. First one of those we could look at is at the resurrection of a little girl who had died. And of course, we know the story. Jesus got there. People are wailing and crying and saying she's dead. Jesus says she's not dead. She's just asleep because he knew exactly what he was going to wake her up. Um, But they're howling. They ridicule him. So he puts everyone else. And guess who he takes into the room with him? It says here when Jesus in Luke chapter 8. But when Jesus heard it, he answered answered him saying, do not be afraid. Only believe and she'll be made well. And when he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James and John and the father and mother of the girl. And we know what happened next. He touched the little girl's hand, said, little girl, I say to you, arise. And she rose before their eyes. Then we see them at the transfiguration. Uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 2. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And Luke tells us what that sort of looked like in Luke chapter 9. As he prayed, this is Jesus, as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. And so they had this sort of insight into the glory of God and into the spiritual realm and and it's just these three and James and John are two-thirds of the inner circle do you understand the point that I'm making now before I go on any further I've just got to say I spotted Mr and Mrs King Wade and Nina this is the first time they're back from their honeymoon and in church hello Mr and Mrs King you guys look great cool uh, and so, so James and John are in this inner circle world with Jesus in the garden. So before his uh, arrest, they're in the garden. Mark chapter 14, verse 32. When they came to a place that is called Gethsemane, he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James and John with him. And he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. And I guess I just share all those scriptures to make this point. You know, they're in this inner circle. There was something that they knew about Jesus, that they saw about Jesus, that many others didn't have that insight in those intimate moments. But not only that, um, Jesus had that connection with them. 
The fact that he wanted, he saw something in them. He had had an insight into them and Peter, but he had an insight into these men that was like, I want to, I'll take you where I won't take others or where I can't take others. There is something about you that I want to open up even more of the mysteries of God, open up even more of my own heart. When you get them in Gethsemane, and it's like this is the most painful, darkest, punishing moment in Jesus' life. And it's like when I think about who I'd want on my worst day, it's you guys. And Peter too, because Peter might be next week. So you need to remember just how intimate he was with Jesus for next week before I tear the poor guy apart. Okay, that's the thought. Now let's look at them as villains. And some of you already guessed this one. But first up, it was the anger thing. You know, interestingly, uh, in Mark chapter 3, Jesus actually gives them a name. Talking about the disciples, Mark says, uh, he describes Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. So he changed his name. Simon meant reed. So reed, that swayed in the breeze. And Jesus, like, prophesied over him, renamed him uh, a stone or a rock. And, um, And then it says... James the son of Zebedee and John the brother of James to whom he gave the name Boanerges which means sons of thunder and it's like wow that's interesting the sons of thunder Uh, so it obviously speaks something of their character maybe it was because they were called to proclaim thunderously the gospel I, I don't know what where Jesus was headed with that but One of the other gospel writers does gives us an insight. Luke goes on to say in chapter 9, he gives this story. And Jesus sent messages before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, saw the rejection of their master... They said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? (laughs) Hey, sons of thunder, absolutely. These guys were lightning and thunder all over. And Jesus turns and rebukes them. And actually, if you, you sort of look at the original language around rebuke, it can mean to grab by the shoulders and shake. It's what Peter did to Jesus when Jesus said, I'm going to the cross. And Peter, Peter rebukes Jesus. The whole thought is he grabs him by the shoulders and says, it will not happen to you, Jesus. <laughs> and Jesus calls him. Get behind me. <laughs> yeah, okay. But here Jesus, Jesus is rebuking these guys. And he says, you, just listen to this. Now, remember, these are the intimates. You do not know what manner of spirit you're of. Just stop right there. Oh, man. You know, it's possible, and I've proven this in my own sad journey at times, it's possible to be really intimate with God. I mean, to have really had some experiences and really know God. I mean, genuinely. It's possible to know God and come from the totally wrong spirit Not even know your own heart. It's possible to actually look at Jesus and know him beautifully and not have any clue 
who you are. <laughs> These guys have just been in that intimate place and Jesus is like, you have no, you have no idea what spirit you are, which in one sense means, and you have no idea what spirit I am of. You might have had your moments, you might have had your glory moments, but it hasn't translated into understanding my heart at all. And you know, when, when I see Christians, sometimes now, see Christians in debate on social media or whatever, that's all I can see. It really does, you can be wrong at the top of your voice. You really can. You can actually know God and not carry his spirit at all. Be of a different spirit. And they are of a different spirit. Jesus rebukes them for it. And he says, for the son of man, listen to this, did not come to destroy lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. For these guys, that's such a weird reaction. But hey, have you ever been taken somewhere less than positive by your anger? Anger will take you to weird places. James says it this way. He says it so well. With our tongue, we bless God. And with the same tongue, we curse men made in his image. It's like you can know God. You can worship God. And actually be of a totally different spirit. Jesus came to save lives. He came to put people back together, not to pull them apart. And, and honestly, I've got, I've got to say, I wish some people would keep that in mind while commenting on social media. It's amazing how we can be so self-deceived by what threatens us. What threatens us. What threatens our equilibrium. We're so self-deceived by it. We can get to the point where we're so self-deceived by what is pushing our comfort zone that we can do things that are contrary to the spirit of God while thinking we're doing God a favour. Now, I could insert Paul right here, couldn't we? Paul thought he was doing God a favour by persecuting the church, the early church. He thought, this is what God would want me to do. You can, you can have an intimate relationship with God and be of a totally different spirit if you allow. And what I think was happening with James and John, they were allowing the cultural mores and the cultural signals of their world under Roman occupation, believing for a Messiah that would bring a a physical, literal, governmental change rather than Jesus saying, this, my kingdom is not of this world. I think there's some people, if they really got a revelation of the kingdom that Jesus was talking about, would probably leave the church because it doesn't suit them. And so I think James and John, as much as they had intimacy, they were still framing Jesus with the wrong cultural assumptions and therefore different spirit to where he was coming from. You doing okay? Doing okay? Please don't think I'm attacking anyone or anything in particular. I'm just saying, we need to be careful. Because this is the paradox. This is what this series has been about. 
It's this incredible paradox in our lives that we can be so awesome <laughs> and so lost. All on the same day. You know. Come on, who's ever woken up to a brilliant morning? Yeah. Gone to bed that night, can't you? I'll just turn the page and try and start again tomorrow. Sue does it often in our marriage. <laughs> oh no, that came out wrong. I do that often in our marriage. Sorry. Sue never gets it wrong. But no, very rarely, very rarely. That is true. I just stop digging. Should I stop digging? Yeah, Ben's like, stop digging. Stop digging. So I think we get the point. That's the paradox. You know, Scripture gives us instruction. Be angry. Do not sin. You know, if, if that, things in this world don't make you angry, there's something wrong with you. There should be things that make you angry. But it doesn't mean you have to go into a different spirit. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Not a bad idea. Instead of sweating on it all night so you can hit the keyboard first thing in the morning. And I know I'm only talking about no one here. I mean, this is for others. Of course. Um, you know, what about Jesus' anger? And you can't address anger without thinking about, what about deliberately plaiting a whip? And beating people out of the temple. It's like, ah, did Jesus forget to take Prozac that morning or something? Like, what the heck? But the interesting thing is, his, his anger was not a personal thing. It wasn't, I can't believe what you've done to me. What you're suggesting you do to me. It wasn't that. It was actually, you know what? This is my father's house. This is about dad's house. And there's corruption in it. And that is sending the wrong signal. What Jesus did was purge internal corruption, not judge the world. I had someone send me, a pastor send me this week a, a, a thing and saying eternal judgment attached to Matthew 25. And I'm like, I, I don't know what Bible you're reading. Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats. Everyone in that passage believed in Jesus. It wasn't sheep, church, goats, world. It was, there's a bit of a mixture. In other words, you can have intimacy and be on the inside and still be of a different spirit. Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. Oh, gee, this is getting too heavy. Okay, let's get back. Someone crack a joke about their marriage. And then we have with James and John, I'll finish real quick with this, but positional thinking. So a couple of the different gospel writers write it differently, but I'll take Mark's version. He says, then James and John, sons of Zebedee, came to him, saying, which, you know, by the way, just simply means that different eyewitnesses had different opinions and decided to include different characters. doesn't mean it's potentially a conflict. It's the same story. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, saying, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Write a blank check. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us that we may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left, in your glory. And so you just see in these guys intimacy with God, but still just coming from a different place. 
The, the fact is, if they really understood what his kingdom was about, they wouldn't have asked that. They would have realised that probably the first ones on there will be the first ones dead. And James' life proved it in the end. Remember when he says to him, one, one of the gospel writers, the other gospel it's in, says, you, you know, can you be, actually no, it's here. It's here. I just didn't include it. Can you be baptised with the baptism I'm baptised with? That's what Jesus responds with. Can you eat, drink from the cup that I'm going to drink from? And they said, we can, quite boldly. And he said, indeed you will. And James did in 36 AD. He was killed for his faith. And so, uh, heroes and villains. How could two people with such intimacy with Jesus still get it so wrong, still misunderstand? Well, that's the paradox. Come on, don't shut me down. Because I'm preaching real good today. (laughs) For every time you've ever wanted to crawl under a rock, or bite words out of the air, or had a forehead slapping moment, which I've had quite a few. That's probably why it's a bit thin up the front here. That's us. We should look at them and you can go, what? And then you look in the mirror and you go, what? What is this? Aren't you glad Jesus still works with you? Jesus, they, you know, they, they were, James was a major impact on the early church. John is an impact on us to this day. Yeah. Jesus still worked through flawed humanity. And it's not an excuse to stay as flawed humanity. It's just actually, you know what? God understands you're human. Yeah. Yeah. He probably judges you less harshly than you judge yourself. Yeah, true. So some questions. How's your intimacy with Jesus? Because intimacy with Jesus is important. Just because you can still get it wrong. I mean, you're just more likely to get it wrong if you don't have intimacy with Jesus. I think we're less likely to get it wrong with a bit of intimacy. So just some questions. You know, how is our time in Scripture going? You know, are you reading the Bible? Maybe Bible journaling? I've heard that's a thing at New Hope. (laughs) Letting, Letting God speak to you? There's so many voices out there. What about, what about including Jesus? Here's a good one. If you like your social media and your own research, are you trying to read maybe at least as much scripture that will edify you at the same time? That's not a bad thing to do. What about prayer? What about just prayer? What about just those, you know, yep, I know we we can speak in tongues, drive in the car on the way to work. I know that we can, you know, mutter a prayer here and there. But what about just time where it's like, God, speak to me. I'm just going to give you, I'm going to give you the next half hour, the next hour. I'm going to put a worship CD on. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to think. I'm going to just express my heart. I'm not going to ask you for stuff. I'm going to worship you and let you speak to me. Come on, that's, that's an intimacy question, isn't it? What about heart? What's thumping around in here that's different spirit? Have you stopped long enough to sit on a rock? We call it, you know, simply freedom or clean heart here. But have you stopped long enough to think about what's going on in here? Is there anger and anxiety? And be anxious for nothing but in all things with prayer and thanksgiving. Make your request known to God and the peace of God which passes all understanding. If you've lost peace, it's a matter of prayer. 
you focus. You know, you can only look at so much anxiety out there before it infects you. And you've actually got to reclaim your internal world. What about people? Intimacy. I tell you what, faith is never displayed so strong as it's displayed amongst people. It's one of the concerns I have. I mean, I I love our online campus and for folk who can't be here, it's critical. And on the days you can't be here, it's critical. But it doesn't remove the fact that it's critical for us to gather. The writer of Hebrews says, don't forsake assembling yourselves together. Why? Because it's the crucible our faith is worked out on. You can't bear someone else's burden unless you're with them. You can't, you know, you can't really forgive them unless you're faced with them every day. And you've got to chew through that stuff. Or at least regularly. Oh, there's that person that hurt me. Oh, I forgave him last week, but now I see him again. It's rising up again. Oh, need to forgive. Need to exercise my faith. You can't exercise faith in a vacuum. How's our intimacy with Jesus? Second question is, where can I channel anger and frustration into passion for effective, affecting positive change? How do, I ch- how do I channel it so that I can actually affect positive change, not just add to the angst and noise, but actually affect positive change? There's lots of things I could be angry at right now, and boy, do I feel like posting stuff myself. But what I'd rather do is sit down with people who are actually at risk of losing their jobs and love on them and try and bring peace and healing, and if I can help in any way, do that. You know, because I'm not a politician. Unless you are one. Anyhow, I think I've said enough about that. In what situations can my life reflect greatness by serving others? You know, Jesus didn't say to them, how dare you want to be great? He said, oh no, you've got it all wrong. You got the right idea, but the wrong spirit. If you want to learn to be, if you want to be great, I'll show you how. Learn to be the servant of all. Different spirit. Same intimacy, different, different spirit. So they come, they've got the intimacy and they think this means promotion to the top. And Jesus is like, hey, I, I love your desire to be great. That's in every human heart created in us. Now I'll show you a different spirit. I'll show you the right spirit. Learn to be the servant of all. So where, you know, the question being where or in what situation can my life reflect greatness by serving others? Cool. I'm done. Does any of this ever affect you? Does it make us question our own hearts, question our trajectory? You know, our friend Shane Willard says this, good messages aren't to be agreed with or disagreed with. They're to be wrestled with. And and maybe I really pray this one maybe more than any. Let's just wrestle with, hey, I'm not denying people here have intimacy with Christ. And even my own heart, please, I'm I'm included in this because I've seen myself act in the wrong spirit too many times to deceive myself into thinking it isn't in me. It's in humanity. So let's take the moment to go, right, 
I might have intimacy with Christ, but am I moving in the same spirit as Christ? Would you stand with me? Thank you, Father. Come on, let's just open our hearts. Let's just pray together as the family of God. Father, we lift up our world. We just lift up so many people. We're all connected to so many people. We think about them right now. Our colleagues, our family, our friends, loved ones. Even those people on Facebook, we should probably defriend for our own sanity. We lift it all up to you. Help us to bring grace and mercy into those situations. Help us to present Jesus in a relevant way. Help us to be salt and light the way you want us to be salt and light. Help us not be pulled in on other agendas, our energies, our passions harnessed to a different spirit. Help us serve the mission of Christ wherever we are, wherever we are. Come on, let's determine that, folks, in our hearts. That's my prayer. Hope it's your prayer. Wherever we are, whoever we're serving, whoever we're loving, in our workplace, in our marketplace, in our families, in our education centres, wherever it is, Help us serve them as Jesus would serve them. You came that people might be saved, might be made whole. Help us be part of that process, Father, of redeeming our world in Jesus' name. Hey, you might be here today either in the room or online and and maybe you say, well, look, I don't have that intimacy with Jesus that you've spoken about and friend all I'd say it simply begins with you opening your heart in the simplest of ways maybe you've had arguments or you've had this or that or whatever maybe you've come to an end of that in yourself and you really wonder what's next maybe you're asking there's got to be more to this world than what I see and the good news is there is and I just want to invite you right now to open your heart to Jesus in the simplest of ways. And you can simply say, Jesus, I might not know everything, but I've got the feeling I I need you. So I'm opening my heart and I'm praying I'll find you and you'll find me in this moment. Just connect your heart to God in the simplest of ways. Maybe there's some things you've got to surrender. There's some things that you know are holding you out from a relationship with God and you've been counting the cost. I just urge you, friend, don't delay. Don't hold back. Jesus has got answers that you need and you can come to him right now. Thanks, Sarah.